Namo tasa bhagavato alahato sama sambuddhasa Namo tasa bhagavato alahato sama sambuddhasa Namo tasa bhagavato alahato sama sambuddhasa Bhutang Dhammang Sankang Namasami. So this is the third week of our Rains Retreat. And it's always, for me, just the, the time when now you get your birthday out of the way, then you can actually go down and do some uh, quiet time practice. It's one of those um, burdens which you have, is you have to just endure as you open your mouth and let people stuff cake in it, you just smile and let people take photographs of you. <laughs> and sometimes it's very easy to start to think, why do I have to do this? This is not what I became a monk for. This is not what I became a novice for, a nun for, an anagarika for. But of course, all of that negativity, if you buy into that, if you cultivate the negativity, the fault-finding mind, you will find that when you get into your hut or your cave, in my case, if you've uh, indulged in negativity, you will find that you have hardly any energy left at all. Negativity just drains the mind and the body of energy too. Negative people become depressed. The depressed people can't even get out of bed in the morning simply because they've cultivated a negative mind. And the opposite of that is, yes, you have to do these things. I have to do things which I don't really like doing, which, you know, think, why do I have to do that? But a long time ago, I just stopped thinking like that and just, just do it and enjoy the fun. Enjoy the happiness which you can give to other people. Yeah, it's very busy, it's very noisy, and you always prefer, and you do really prefer, being in your cave and just meditating there. It's by far the most happiest time I have in this monastery or anywhere in the world in my cave. And so that that sort of silence, that solitude is my resource. But you bear with this. And instead of actually getting negative about it, which would mean that when I go back to my cave, I'd be exhausted and I'd also be negative. Instead of doing that, you just enjoy, give everything you have to everybody you, you meet. <laughs> and then you find, because you have a pure positive mind, you go and sit in your cave and you have a pure positive mind ready to go into deep meditation. And of course that deep meditation which you get into is your resource, it's your home. It's the place where you can go which gives your life some meaning. I know that uh, many people talk about the meaning of life and some people find meaning in raising a family or just traveling or writing books. Or, but you know, I've done many of those things and one of, well, not raising a family, unless you're my family. <laughs> but the thing which gives me the biggest meaning in my life is just the peace and the, the stillness in meditation, even much more than just, you know, the, any sort of uh, people who come up and say, thank you for your books and thank you for the teachings, thank you for saving my life, thank you for teaching me the path, thank you for inspiring me. That's very wonderful. But in all the hierarchy of, of satisfactions, which I know, it's a satisfaction of a very peaceful and still mind, which is the highest or which is the best. 
which is one of the reasons why that you know, I encourage everybody who's in this monastery or even visiting this monastery to develop such stillness in meditation that you can taste the same satisfaction as I taste, which actually keeps me going, which keeps me healthy, which keeps me happy, which keeps me strong. Uh, even though I do say that sometimes it's a condensed milk which keeps me um, energized, it's not. It's a samadhi which keeps you energized. It's not, I keep on saying to people today that the secret of long life is to drink lots of long life milk. But it's not that case. <laughs> the case is that, you know, it's just because, you know, you have a lot of stillness and peace and that re-energizes and supports the health of the body. All of these uh, things about, you know, the <coughs> what you eat, how you exercise and stuff like that, I know from personal experience the stillness and peace is a resource which is why that I love other people to actually to be able to taste that stillness and peace. So you too can have a, a home where you can go to any time. Like you know, Ajahn Chah used to say, his real home. And that real home is not you know the house in which you live. It's not even the hut in which you, you abide as a monk or as a nun. You all know that real home has to be inside of your own heart, which means that when you do travel overseas, you take your home with you, it's like the snail but it's not an external home, it's one which is inside. So wherever you go in the world or even in an aircraft, you can just sit there, close your eyes and get into some nice meditation and you're back home again, even though you're halfway between here and goodness knows where, you know, in 36,000 feet in the air, you're still home when you get inside. <laughs> so that resource is so important, which is why you know, I wanted to ask everybody to prioritize the stillness now, of the heart is the most important thing you're doing in this place. The reason I say to prioritize it, because I find even in my life that sometimes there's so many other things you have to do, but half of those you think you have to do, but you don't really have to do them. You only do them because you are got the wrong priorities in life. And instead of the priorities in life and fixing up all the problems in the kitchen or fixing up all of the stuff in Dhammasara Nuns Monastery, or solving all the problems in the Buddhist society, or in the world, or wherever, or with the the authenticity of the suttas. Yeah, that's sort of important, but the most important thing is just the stillness of the heart. You know, they have the saying in English of the tail wagging the dog, the suttas, the monastery, just the kitchen, it's there to support the lifestyle of the monks and nuns, and the uh, novices, anagarikas, visitors, lay people in this monastery. That's what it's there for. So you always remember what this monastery is here for. It's here to provide you know, those spaces in the forest or wherever you can find of solitude and seclusion. So <coughs> I'm very glad that most of the monks and uh, Anagarikas, even the visitors, you are inclining more and more towards seclusion. Not spending too much time together, but spending time on your own. You know, after a while you get so used to spending time on your own, it's a bit tough actually going out and talking to other people. Believe me that I do incline to solitude, which is one of the reasons why when somebody uh, gave me six months sabbatical, you know, you could have gone traveling around the world, visiting this monastery and that monastery. That was the time when I was invited into all the monasteries and I could have gone wherever I wanted. 
But even so, instead you decided just to have a six months in a, in a hut by yourself, in seclusion. And that was one of the most wonderful times of my life, just being by myself, with no one to talk to, no one to see, and just getting a beautiful routine of just meditation, walking and sitting, and just having a wonderful time. Now, this is why that seclusion of the body and then seclusion of the mind is our home. And I, yeah, and I, I know that sometimes people say that monastery, <coughs> monasteries should be communities and we should learn how to create a warm community. But look, there are other places which can do that. This is like a bunch of hermits. And this is actually how you know I have always seen Buddhist monasteries to be. A bunch of hermits who have the ability to go into their huts, staying by themselves as long as possible, and only coming together when we really have to. Coming together, say, to listen to a Dhamma talk, uh, coming together to do our little duties. We come together to eat because it's more convenient to get all the food in one place. But, you know, to try and keep that as simple as possible, because when you have that hermit, what we call bodily seclusion, being by yourself a long, long time, yeah, it can be boring at first, but you soon get used to it. Like anything else, it just takes a transition. You know, whenever you go to a new country, you just have to acclimatize to the new time zone and to the temperature, but soon you get used to it and even acclimatize to the food. You know, it was, you know, it's weird to actually to know this, but, you know, I got acclimatized, you know, to hot curries and uh, frog on rice and rotten fish curries in Thailand. You actually started to even enjoy them, which is weird. But, you know, you did. You got used to it after a while. You acclimatized to anything. The human body and the human mind is so adaptable. That's why people from different countries have colonized every corner. Hot places, cold places, dry places of this planet. And not only we can do that, that we can also acclimatize even to solitude and quietness. It just takes a while, that's all. So that's why I was saying last week, you know, just to cultivate a little bit of endurance, knowing that this too will pass, knowing that, yeah, the boredom which you have at the beginning of a retreat or this time of the retreat, if nothing is really happening in the meditation to delight you, yeah, another few weeks of sitting in my heart, nothing to do, just stay in there because soon you'll get used to it and when it comes time for the end of the retreat, you think, oh no, we've got to go out working and going to these dhanas and chanting for this and chanting for that. And, you know, you get uh, used to the silence and the quietness. And so let yourself get used to it as soon as possible because it's so conducive to this beautiful, simple tranquility of the body. And even just sitting down on a on a meditation cushion or on a chair, wherever you sit down on, at first you're always uncomfortable. Even for me, it takes a, you know, a few days to get into these beautiful long sitting meditations because outside of the range retreat, you know, I have too many responsibilities and duties to perform. But now, the range retreat is really getting going, and you can sit for long periods of time and you really start to enjoy it. Even your body starts to acclimatize to this uh, new schedule of long times for meditation, quiet solitude, and not as much to do in the world. So you have to learn how to give it that opportunity for the solitude to grow, for the body to (coughs) 
acclimatize itself to this new routine which you have. And after a while, you start to really enjoy it. You know, just okay, like I used to enjoy after a while, you know, rotten fish curries. Yeah, you know, they stank, but you know, there was something, and sometimes you got a nice one. And same way that after a while you can start to acclimatize and enjoy this meditation. It's actually quite beautiful and blissful. But the only way you can do that is to give it priority, to make sure this is more important than other things. And this priority, what's really important in life, is you know, one of the things which a lot of people get wrong. You know, that people out there in the world, they go searching for money. What are you searching for money for? You know, it's, well, it's so I can you know, look after my kids, so I can give donations, so I can have a happy, healthy lifestyle. Yes, exactly. That's the purpose. So put the purpose of your life number one. It's for the happiness, looking after your family, having health, having time for one another. If you put the priorities right, the meaning of life is very, very simple and you become very successful. But sometimes people put the causes first. In a sense, you know, they think money first of all, and then sort of, you know, what they're trying to get the money for, you know, they forget about. And it's the same with what we're doing here in monastic life. We're not here to build monasteries. We're here to build monasteries to get peaceful meditation, to become enlightened, you know, to get the the wisdom of a Buddha and the peace of the Buddha and the happiness and freedom of a Buddha. That's what we're here for. So put that as your number one priority. And when you put that as a number one priority, you know, the meaning of your being here, then everything else falls into place and you find your lifestyle and your daily routine become much more conducive to the arising of these peaceful states. So we're not here just to have a, have a sort of a, a nice, beautiful monastery. They have that great story of that monk who was cleaning the monastery morning, afternoon and night time, cleaning up so much that he was never having any time to meditate. And uh, this uh, Mahakachana, I think it was, came along and said, great, you're a very good monk. The monastery or the Vihara looks very beautiful, but please do not clean it up all day and all night. Clean up in the morning, sweep it in the evening, in the middle of the day, meditate. And of course, you know the story, after a short while, that monk became fully enlightened, another arahat, and the Wihara was never as tidy as it used to be before. Before it was spotless, now it was now, during the middle of the day it had leaves all over the place, but we had one more arahat in the world. And of course, that was more important than having a clean Wihara. The Wihara was there for the practice of meditation to create arahats, not the other way around. So when we realize what the main thing is in our life, then the whole of the routine of the range retreat starts to make sense. We're here to actually to create the causes so that we can have the time to meditate and to the encouragement, the, uh, the supporting conditions, so that we really can learn how to get some deep states of mind. And of course, one of those supporting conditions, we do have to do some service and some work like I had to do today. But you go in the afternoon and you use that work which you have done, not as a source of negativity. Why me? Why do I have to do so much? We don't use it for that. We use it as a source of inspiration. It's amazing just what everybody in this monastery is doing and how we are inspiring and helping so many thousands of people <coughs> throughout the world. 
And that gives you a source of great joy. In the same way that I said at the beginning of the rains retreat, we Saka, who uh, asked to offer the rains cross for all the monks. And uh, I told this to Aranui Hari just uh, in his interview. I said, you've been working so hard to make sure that there's a good water supply for all the people at Jhana Grove. So I said to Aranui Hari, if any of those meditators at Jhana Grove get a jhana, that's because that you know that they would have drunk your water. <laughs> Which means that should give you lots of inspiration and joy. So that will enhance your meditation as well. That's actually how it works. When you do service for a good cause, helping other people meditate, that enhances your energies and joys, which means that you can do those services, but you keep it in check, not too much, and milk it for all it's worth, to get as much joy out of it as possible. What you have done for others is good karma, it's merit. Even the Buddha said, monks, you should make merit too. When I came across that in the Anguttara, I stopped, I wrote it down because it was not what I expected. I thought merit was something lay people would do. No, monks make merit too. And that's one thing we can do to enhance our meditation. So yeah, you all do enough work in this monastery, but please make use of it. Remember it. It's called Chaganusati. You know, it's, that means the recollection, meditation, if you like, on your you're giving, that we each give in different ways. You know, the lay people give donations, the, the monks, they give their hard labor, and the nuns as well. So this is actually how we, we all serve each and our own different ways. And when we do that, it means we do have the source of energy, we do have the time, but we give the meditation priority. And all this other stuff which people actually can think about when they close their eyes and meditate, why do those thoughts come up? Why do you keep thinking about the past and the future? Because you believe it is important. <laughs> a lot of times that people try and use force to, to calm the mind down. And you've heard me say for year after year after year, that does not work. Do not use willpower. Wisdom power is how you calm the mind down, not willpower. And to me, it's just so obvious that how can, no, you see me do this, how can you hold a cup of water still? It will always shake. You have to put the water on the ground and it becomes still by itself. How can you hold a leaf still? You now the arm is moving, its metabolism means it's always moving. You can't hold a hand absolutely still. So if you're going to hold a leaf still, the hand is moving, the leaf will move. You've got to let the leaf go keep it free from the wind and the leaf becomes still all by itself. It's its natural state. And so you know, a lot of times that we use this wisdom power, it's far more effective than willpower. Sometimes you try, 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 try this method, that method, for year after year, nothing works because you are trying. Using willpower, please use your wisdom power. And that's far more effective. And part of that wisdom power is actually prioritizing what is really important. So <coughs> if I have all these things I'm supposed to do later on today, like give a talk, which was this afternoon, I'm sitting down in my cave, I've got to give a talk later on this evening. But I thought, I'm not giving a talk now. I'm going to reprioritize and forget about it. So actually I came and sat up here not really quite sure what I'm going to talk about. I was lazy. Not really lazy, I'd reprioritized, okay. 
you know, instead of planning what you're going to talk about, I reprioritize and say, no, I'm going to just have a nice meditation this afternoon, which I did. So that's actually how you prioritize. Forget about the future. The future will look after itself. As I've kept on saying to the lay people, where is your future made? When is the only time you can do anything about your future? Now. So if you want to have a really good future, look after the present moment. So that's what I was doing all afternoon, just looking after the present moment. And if it's a good talk this evening, it's because I looked after the present moment all this afternoon. So it's, this is where you create your future. And you see you're prioritizing here. In your, It's a win-win situation. You're looking after this moment, the present moment, which is so important in meditation. And at the same time, you're guaranteeing one of the places you worry about so much what's going to happen next. Now, I don't know about sort of all our visitors. You know, the monks are and nuns are okay because we're in here for the long term. But you know, it's really amazing. You've only been in here two and a bit weeks and some of you are probably already planning what you're going to do when you leave. It's weird, isn't it? You know, you've only just come here. You plan weeks and weeks to get here and as soon as you're here, you're planning to go somewhere else. Have you ever noticed that we're always on the move, always going somewhere? Our body may have stopped, but our mind is running way ahead of us. And that's why I kept on saying there's very few human beings in the world. Mostly they're human goings. Always going somewhere, never being here. So when we learn how to prioritize this present moment, this is important, this being now. And you know that's so wonderful because it means no matter what you're experiencing in your meditation when you're sitting, if you've got a sore knee, if you've got a sore tummy, like I had this afternoon, you always get a sore stomach after your after your birthday, because people give you all this food, and you put you know enough in when you go down the bottom there, and then they come up and give you all sorts of other stuff which you have to put in, and the problem is, all the nice stuff I put in the bottom, and all the stuff which comes afterwards goes on the top. And I can't get to the nice stuff without going through the other stuff which people give me on, you know what it's like, monks and nuns. <laughs> and they're all watching me. And they're also saying, I made this specially for you, Ajahn Brahm. And they did make it specially for me. So you have to have volcano rice on top of everything. <laughs> and you know, I don't really like that. <laughs> but anyway, you know, you put it on there and so you always get tummy aching. the... Uh, on your birthday. That's part of the course. You get used to it. It wouldn't be my birthday if I didn't get tummy ache in the afternoon. <laughs> so, so, whatever. I don't mind giving you my tummy for one day. Actually, sometimes many days. But, okay, you get stomach ache. So what do you do? You sit there and you forget about it. It's not important. If it's really important, then you start worrying about it. How long is this going to last? Why do I have to do this? And it's amazing just with the right attitude, especially being in the present moment, some of the, most of the pain vanishes. It's often, you know, the the pain of like a a sick or tired or hurting body is always, you know, a bit of fear as well. Oh, I can't stand this any longer. How long do I have to last? This is going to go on for. Is this a beginning of Oh, stomach cancer. Is this, you know, some terrible disease I'm going to get if I don't sort of do something quickly? And there's so much fear comes up. And I've been telling a lot of people, what you fear you're going to get, you usually get it because you make it happen. So please don't be afraid of anything. 
So for me, I'm afraid of good health. I'm trying because you know, because then if I'm afraid of good health, that's what I'll get. <laughs> that's my plan for a long life. So whatever. So when you fear things like that, sort of you're going off into the future. Have you noticed that fear always involves the future? What's going to happen next or soon? Right now you're safe. Right now you've got a tummy ache, but that's okay. But if you start worrying about the future, then you have fear. Which is one of the reasons why when you get really into the present moment, you give that real priority. The future is not so important. Or, you know, the future is being made in this present moment. You give priority, you give weight, importance to now. Fear disappears. You can't be afraid when you're already here. And the future is just not even on your radar. So that's one of the ways we can actually let go of all this fear business and all this worry about pain. It's pain is just a feeling, that's all. But it's the fear of where it's, where it's going to lead and what's going to happen next. Sometimes I remember when I used to start meditating, my, my leg would go to sleep, it would go numb. And I started worrying and didn't know much about life. I was only about 18 at the time. And I started worrying that, you know, if your leg goes numb, that means there's no blood circulating in your leg. And I heard from somebody, if your blood stops circulating, it usually gets gangrene. And I was having all these imaginary scenarios of not being able even to get up after the meditation, being put in an ambulance and having your leg taken off. <laughs> It's amazing what fear would do. Remember, fear is so irrational. And that was my little fear. Until after a while, I thought, oh, what the hell? You can take my leg off if, not, if you want. I've got a spare one. And so, you know, the, you know, as soon as you stop being afraid, and I started getting some nice meditation then, and then just the, I noticed later on all those, uh, the blood came back. And it was only apparently, it's only in the surface for the nerves. It's nothing really important. You know, people watch the soccer or watch a movie for hours and their legs go numb and they never have to go to hospital afterwards, so why are you worried when you're meditating? So anyway, it was just fear, and the fear was you know, projection onto the future, especially negative projections onto the future. That's what fear is. Excitement is positive projections onto the future. Oh, it's, I'm, it's getting close now, I can see Nimitta. Yes, it's going to be China's. That's all when you start to introduce perceptions of the future into your meditation. That's where you get the fear and excitement from. They're just two halves of the same uh, delusion. So forget about the future. Stay really close into this present moment. And basically any aches or pains, they're just they're no problem. They're already here. You're managing it. It's only the fear of the future creates a real agony and pain. And it's when people get tortured. They don't just go and stick a needle in you. They show it to you first of all. And they start talking to you. See this needle, it's very sharp. You are going to wish you'd never been born. Or whatever. It's just also projection into the future. That causes the, the torture business. They just bang it in you. Yeah, you scream, but you never give away the information. But 
is that projection into the future, which is the problem. So please, in the meditation, actually not even in the meditation, in life, give so much more importance to now. Give it priority instead of the future. That's why I was saying today, you know, that story about the monk who'd, who was uh, doing all the work and was uh, building his hall. And then, Rain's retreat, he just stopped everything. And when the person said, when is your hall going to be finished? And he said, it is finished. What do you mean? There's no roof, there's no windows. And he replied, sir, what's done is finished. It's brilliant teaching, which I use a lot in, even in my meditation. That was actually from Ajahn Buddhadasa. Great saying, what's done is finished. Which means you can rest. Yeah, there's more work to be done later on. But now it's finished. You can stop. You can just be. Instead of always continually going and doing something. You can even stop thinking. Whatever's been thought has finished. Yeah, you haven't. You've got more stuff to think later on. But what's been thought is finished. Done. Stop. That's the only way you can find some peace. If you try and think all the thoughts which need to be thought in your life, if you try and finish them all, you'll be dead by the time you finish. Which is why you can just say, no, what's thought has been finished. What's been written has been written, finished. What's done has been finished. And that way you can stop. Because you notice... Even this monastery, this, this is an old joke story, whatever you want to call it. People would keep on saying, when's the monastery going to be finished? What's done is finished. There'll be work to be done afterwards. The nuns' monastery project, they keep asking, when are you going to be finished? Actually, they're asking, when are you going to start? <laughs> so you can say, what started has been begun. Or something like that. <laughs> Well, that way, they're just people are always just going off into the future business. So we can stop. We give priority to now. And if you just give priority to this moment now, you find a lot of the hindrances, a lot of the defilements, a lot of the the obstructions to peace, happiness, stillness are just taken away at just one swipe of nowness. Why is it? that we can't stay in the present moment is because we don't really think this meditation is important enough. Other stuff is more important. Thinking is more important. You know, writing the letters, doing the emails, whatever else. Sometimes we give importance to the wrong things. Because after a while you find you'll get no real happiness in those areas. But you just get what the Buddha called a taste of freedom, which is what happens in meditation. You're sitting there and you're free. What that freedom is was something which you know, I like pointing out, was the freedom from desires, not the freedom of desires. The freedom of desires is where you can think whatever you want, go whatever you want, do whatever you want. If that's all you know, you don't know freedom at all. You really think that freedom is being able to go and you know, <coughs> have a meal when you want to have a meal. Freedom is just being able to get on the internet and watch a movie whenever you want. Freedom is to come and go here, to say whatever you want, do whatever you want. But it's not what you want. 
It's your cravings, your wants are driving you. You're in the prison of wanting, what the Buddha called craving. Craving is controlling you. And this is what means like the freedom of desires. It's not freedom at all, it's a myth. But then you get into some meditation and you're just so still, you don't want anything. You're just here enjoying this moment and you don't want anything in the whole world. There are no desires there. And you can even look around, what do I want? Nothing, I'm happy, I'm content, I'm here, I don't want anything. And that's called the freedom from wants. And someone comes up and asks you, like my birthday today, Ajahn Brahm, what do you want for your birthday? What can we get you for your birthday? Something special just for you. You know, I've got nothing. That's what I really wanted, thank you. <laughs> At last you got me what I really, really, really wanted. Nothing. <laughs> yeah, you got lots of chocolate, that's all gone off into the, the monks and the novices and who else, and the, whatever else has the chocolate. We always get, it's amazing how much chocolate we get in this monastery, but it all disappears. <laughs> Goes to emptiness. Fades away, <laughs> ceases. But, <laughs> well, you know, you know what it is. It's chocolate when it goes in one end, chocolate when it comes out the other end. <laughs> Same colour, different smell. <laughs> it's good being a mug. I could be gross and get away with it. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, so you don't want nothing. So there's this wonderful sense of freedom from desires. It's so hard, I know, okay, you lay people, you really just want to get things for monks, but what do monks need? What do nuns need? You know, you just got a place to stay, you've got food, more than enough food you can eat, and just, you're free from desires. So when you go back to your, my cave, I don't go thinking, oh, what can I get next? You know, I've got, oh, i got Karim from Indonesia, I can ask him, can you get me this, can you get me this? No, I don't want anything. Isn't it wonderful not to want anything at all? I would say the test, if you found a bottle and you rubbed it and a genie came out and the genie said, according to genie tradition and the rites and rituals which genies keep, I can give you three wishes. And what would you say? And if you say, nah, go off, don't want any wishes, then you'll be a real monk or a real nun. You'll be a real Buddhist. You don't want anything. Isn't that beautiful? To be a person who can actually just say to a genie and give you, I give you the most beautiful girl in the world. I can give you riches beyond your wildest dreams. I can give you power to help and change the whole world. You know who that genie is, don't you? That's called Mara. And you don't, no thank you, I don't want anything. Well, that's freedom from desires, that's peace. The wonderful thing about freedom from desires and peace is you, you don't have to get everything before you can have that peace. You don't have to get everything in order to make your heart really tidy, to get, you know, the latest iPad, to get the latest uh, talks all uh, downloaded for you, blah, 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 all the other things which you need. You can be still right now. You don't need anything to be free. Just be in the present moment and just let go, give up, stop. Stop all this wanting. <laughs>
And then you've got this beautiful sense of freedom from desires. And it's like you're out of prison. At last, you're free. It's only when you know what it's like outside of prison that you recognize what prison was. Prison was, there's all these desires and wants and things you have to do and places you have to go. Oh, they just drive you crazy. You never have any rest. Why can't you have any rest? Because you're being driven by craving. Wanting this, wanting that, needing this, needing something else. And then suddenly you just have this little meditation and then you're just so calm, so peaceful, so still. You, you notice, hey, I don't want anything. I'm just happy right here, just being here for hours. It may not even be the best meditation, but you're just content. Content just be watching a breath or just being content to be sleepy. But you're content. You're happy. You're here. And you find in this meditative life you don't need much to be content. You just need to let go. The situation is not important. You can be old and have an aching body and be so content. You can be dying in great pain and be content. I know that. I've done that. You can be content even in the most amazing situations. All you need to do is let go. Let go of desire, let go of wanting. Tell the genie, the genie called Mara, just to go. I know you, genie. I know you, Mara. So I don't want anything. This is good enough for me. If you do that, you find this great sense of peace. And that's the heart of meditation, the letting go of desires, the taste of freedom from desires, a beautiful sense of peace and contentment. And what happens in meditation, you stay there long enough, not wanting anything, being totally content, this is good enough for me. And it develops by itself. You don't do anything. It's the nature of contentment to deepen and become more brilliant, more happy, more blissful, more profound, more empty. That's what happens with, with contentment. It's just stopping desires for a few moments. And that gives you your refuge, your real home. The home which is a place you can relax. Otherwise, the other places people live, there's always something they have to do. That is one of the reasons why we have no mobile phones in this monastery. It would be disgusting and terrible if you have mobile phones. That means Ma will be able to get into every hut if you have a mobile phone, always calling you up always doing something, always having to check your emails or whatever it is, you are owned by your iPad. You are owned by your control, by your email account. It's not free at all. You're in prison again. It's amazing how many new high-tech prisons there are in this world. And we can be free of all that. Letting it go. You know, the world won't end if you don't answer your emails. I was joking today, I was waiting for my happy birthday call from Obama, but he never called up the pig. <laughs> but then I never wished him a happy birthday after either, so fair enough. <laughs> so I'm not that important, you're not that important, so it doesn't matter if you don't answer an email, just the world carries on, probably even better when you don't get involved. So we can let it go and be still and be peaceful and be free from desires. And when we give that priority, freedom from desires, and when you know what that means, 
then you get some understanding of what meditation is all about. It's a beautiful sense of happiness. I don't want anything. I don't need anything. You find you had enough all the time. How much do people need? It's amazing, this world. Sometimes you used to be interested in history and see how people lived and see these old houses. You know, your huts, which the monks live, a whole family would be happy to live in one of those, you know, 50, 80 years ago. And now it's a simple hut for you. And some of these big houses I go and bless, you know, a king would have been happy to be in that 200 years ago. The mansions which you have. And that's, but you know, these days, how much more do we need? How much do we want? There's no end to that. But there is an end when we've got freedom from desires. That's what Ajahn Chah used to, he used to tell me this. He said he was always interested in things which had ends. Ends to it. Because he saw so much stuff in the world kept going on and on and on without any end at all. Just going round and round and round like samsara. Just the endless round of doing things, going somewhere. You know, just, but he wanted something with an end to it. And this is how he found the ending of things. Stopping, finishing, freedom from desires, rather than more desires which don't have an end. Whatever you want, when you get it, you want something else. It never satisfies somebody said all desire is unfaithful it promises you satisfaction but as soon as you get it you want something else (coughs) it doesn't meet its promises it's never good enough but freedom from desires at last you're still and peaceful and it feels so incredibly wonderful it's the Vimuti Rasa the taste of freedom and once you have that enough times in meditation it does become your refuge yeah, you have to get out of your cave and just work and do things and give talks and have your photograph taken and just eat weird food, whatever it is you have to do in life or tomorrow do an exorcism. It's really interesting, getting the spirits out of this house. That's really good fun. But okay, that's a bit of fun and games. But then afterwards you, you just are still and peaceful. And this is actually our path. To get that freedom from desires and to cultivate it as much as possible until we know it, until it does become our refuge, until it's some place where you can always go back to your real home, a place of peace, a place of reality, of stillness, of power, of bliss. So you can go back into there, you can come out of it afterwards, re-energize, but also it puts everything else in perspective. When you have the freedom from desires, all the other stuff which happens in your life, all the silly stuff, the arguments, not being happy, being fed up, being sick, things not working out, all the problems in life, they're only real problems because you don't have another place to go to. You have no perspective anymore. That's why people, it's amazed as how people get angry at each other. I just can't understand that. <laughs> Why are you getting angry at each other? Just people are people. That's just what they do. They're angry at the monastery. This is what monasteries are like. This is a pretty good one as monasteries go in the world. You try and find a better one. But you try and find a perfect one. No. 
It's monasteries are monasteries. It rains too much. When it's not raining too much, it's not raining enough. It's, when it's not too cold, it's too damn hot. And when it's too hot, it's too cold. When I'm cold, sort of somebody sort of opens up the window. When I'm hot, they they close the windows and turn the gas heater behind me on. It's, it's hopeless. They just fed up with that. Oh, you just do whatever you like. You can turn the heaters on, the fans on. I don't care. But what you do do is you know that you can just go inside. And there you can find the freedom from desires. When you're totally at peace, content and happy. That's the only place you will ever find any happiness in these monasteries. You won't find it in the kitchen with jelly beans. You won't find it sort of in your hut. So listening to some talk or the radio or whatever. You won't get it anywhere on the internet. You only get that happiness by being free from all desires. At least for a few minutes. An hour, two hours or whatever. So please in the meditation, don't spoil the meditation by desiring to get nimitas, desiring you know, to get jhanas and my friend got a nimitta and I haven't got one yet, that really sucks. Please don't get into that comparison which just creates more desires. Jealousy is another cause for more desires and more wanting and anger and all this other stuff which comes up in people's mind. It's absolutely ridiculous. So you know, if you do hear someone who's got some uh, great state of meditation, you haven't got that and you're a monk and you've been here for years and years and years and these Jojos come from Germany and they just get nimitas and jhanas straight away and you haven't well that really sucks I mean just I've built this monastery and I've been doing this and doing that and just I look after everybody and these people just come in here and they just get jhanas and enlightened and I just have to keep working for them it's unfair and oh, 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 oh. <laughs> oh please now that's the reason why people don't get jhanas with attitudes like that don't judge don't compare. And one of the great suttas, one of the first ones which I read, the Sapurisa Sutta. I read that because I heard all about jhanas. Mm, yeah, I think it was the jhanas. And I always said, whenever you got the first jhana, they said the good person, well, actually it was an Aryan, they never think that they are better because of that achievement. That thought even never comes into their mind. I said, I really took that on board, even if someone keeps precepts, they're really keeping the Vinaya of the and they think that I'm better than somebody else, they are not a good person a good person, even though they keep precepts and those other scallywags down the monastery, down the road don't, you never think you're superior and that's brilliant teachings you know, meditation, keeping your precepts, those who meditate a lot, those who don't meditate at all, you never think that you are better than anybody else. That's ego, and that creates this enormous amount of craving and ill will and all these other defilements which come up. Don't judge at all. Don't compare. And if someone does get some something and you hear about it, please have mudito. It's beautiful sense of joy. Well done. You've got something. I'm so happy for you. Well, that's the noble response to other people's success. It's wonderful that you've all managed to come here. I feel so much joy that you've managed to you know, find three months to come to this monastery. 
so wonderful that you've managed to ordain. Not jealous at all. If you get all these powers, enlightenment and everything else, oh, I'm just so happy for you. So no je jealousy doesn't come into it. And then you are free from desires. And then you can just really get off on other people's attainments. Maybe you can get attained as well. Because you get joy instead of the ill will. So when those happens, you know, all these, you're putting priority where it really uh, can give you power, happiness, freedom and everything else. A beautiful freedom from desires where you can just sit there and have these beautiful meditations simply because you've let go of wanting and that becomes the most important. And again, present moment awareness is one of the best places to find that freedom. The only place you can find that freedom, the freedom from desires, because when you're really in the moment, the future vanishes. In fact, it is desire in all its forms which creates the future. So when you desire, you've created a future. When you're angry, you've created a past. And it's wonderful when you let go of those two defilements and you are in the moment. The past and the future have disappeared from you. It's amazing, this time business. You create time. Often just as a physicist, you know, you wondered about, you know, where does this time come from? It's very much a mental thing. You create time. I think when the first being descended into this new world, and the this is the uh, the origin story of Buddhism. And when they first descended, then time was created. Interesting idea, but that's actually how I understand it. Desire creates time, creates the future, and ill will creates the past. So if you want to be free of those things, stop and be free from desire. And have a great time. That's enough for this uh, birthday talk. Here, okay. Um, um, um.